Hi, it's great being with you this morning. Uh, Cheryl and I look back on, I think it's about a year ago, when we were able to be with you in person and uh, just so thoroughly enjoyed a, a weekend with you as a church. And it's just great to be connecting in with you in this way this morning. So, I, one of the things I enjoy doing is uh, walking up in the fells, the, the mountains of Cumbria. And, uh, and I've learned an important lesson that navigation matters. Okay, there have been a few times, I confess, when I've got lost or, or rather mislaid on the fells. And, and just learned the hard way, really, that it, yeah, a map, a compass, they're essential. But also landmarks can help us. And what I want us to do this morning is just to look at what I believe is a real landmark chapter for the church. I think it always has been. And it's Acts chapter 2. It's actually where we see the church launched. It's the day of Pentecost and we see this remarkable outpouring of the Spirit. You know, phenomenal manifestations of the presence of the Spirit. It's an amazing day that we read about in Acts 2. And as you go through the chapter, it moves to the creation, really the launch of the church. And you find uh, that first snapshot of early church life that has so often, as I say, been a landmark uh, for churches, as churches have, have perhaps drifted and, and, and just had that longing to get back to, okay, what does God want for us as church? You know, structures may change, you know, we, 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 which is a good thing and the right thing, but somehow the essence of church being church, we, we, we touch something very authentic here in Acts 2. It's not perfect, but it's very authentic. And I believe we're in days where God is just, he, he, he is reminding us of the things that really matter. Okay, we really have seen uh, such a year of turmoil, haven't we, and such a year of change. And yet I believe in that, God wants us to be clear or in the things that really matter. I, I think this isn't a year for us to, or it's not been a year for us to kind of hibernate, just get through, be dormant in, but it's a year where actually God has been waking us up. Okay, who are we as church? And, and what does God want for us as church? And, and what are the things that really matter? And I believe that there's things in this chapter that really serve us when in that. So I say, it began with this mighty outpouring of spirit. We see the, the launch of the church, but between we have Peter's preach. And it's that that I particularly want to focus on. It, it, that in itself is a miracle, isn't it? We, we, you know, at the end of the Gospels, we read about Peter denying Christ. And here we've got him declaring Christ. That, that's such a, a testimony of both the grace of God, but also the power of God, the anointing of God through the Holy Spirit. So let's look at Acts chapter two. Uh, I'm gonna read the preach, uh, but there's one bit I particularly want us to focus on this morning. So Acts two, verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. 
This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here with us to this day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? God pours out his spirit and there's a mighty revelation of Christ. And in fact, that's one of the, the main roles of the Holy Spirit is to take the things of Christ and to make them real and it, to testify to who Jesus is truly is, you know, as wonderful and as thrilling as the manifestations are in the early bits of Acts 2, that actually this preaching of Christ is actually right at the heart of what the Holy Spirit is doing. It's this wonderful fusion of word and spirit together. The Holy Spirit is outpoured to bring revelation about someone, a person. Jesus Christ. And we get this phrase, we read about that actually he was crucified, that he was raised, we know he was ascended, but we read this phrase, exalted to the right hand of God. And it's that phrase that I particularly uh, feel good for us to focus on, okay? He is the exalted one, that Christ is in heaven. It's so vital we see this. Sometimes we can be in danger of maybe having a, a too small a, a view of, of who Jesus is, or even a domesticated view of, of who Jesus is. And, and God wants to shake that. God wants us to see that Christ is exalted. He's not just 
Um, we, we need to be careful we don't make a Jesus in our own image. We need to see the Christ who has been revealed to us. He is the exalted one. And I believe in, in these days, I believe so many things are being shaken. And it, it, it's, it, it's vital that we build on the right foundation of who Christ is. And I actually think that you know, if we have wrong views of who he is, those foundations will, will, will actually be shaken. We'll find that that's shifting sand, but we need to be building on the rock that Peter is declaring about now. So Christ in heaven, what does it mean? He is exalted, exalted to the right hand of God. He's in the highest place. Paul picks that up in Philippians, where in, in Philippians chapter two, he says this, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then when Paul writes to the uh, church in Ephesus, he says this, he's now seated with him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that, that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. This is Jesus, now the exalted one. How do we respond to that? Well, how does heaven respond? to the glory of Christ, with worship. When John has that revelation, or received that, 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 that set of revelation, the visions about the church on the Isle of Patmos, what happens first is that revelation of Christ, and, and John, he, he falls uh, at, at his feet as though dead. Let's not domesticate Jesus. Let's see him as exalted. Let's not try to pack him into the suitcase of our understanding. He is exalted. Let's worship him. I guess I could end the preach there, right? Okay, now there is a bit more, okay? But let's worship, let's worship. God so wants to ignite our hearts freshly with revelation, with who Jesus is. But let's repent, you know, win that cry. Brothers, what should we do? Then Peter's quick with the response, repent, turn. We turn from one way of living to another way of living. My own story of back when I was a student, a long haired student, uh, layabout student in Brighton on the South Coast. And that, that's where God began to really work in my heart and, uh, and, and change things for me. But I was brought up in a Christian home, so I never doubted the existence of Jesus. I think there's always faith in Jesus. But I know in those early days, I began to hear about the baptism and, and the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that was like totally new to me, and it just stirred something in me. But without really anyone kind of really saying much about it, it, it kind of led me to the conclusion that to experience the Holy Spirit was to actually accept Jesus as Lord, was to really know his Lordship in my life. And I wriggled, I squirmed, I kind of thought that has big implications 
on the way that I'm living now. But it's what the Holy Spirit comes to do, is to reveal Jesus is Lord. And by the grace of God, I was able to say yes to him. And since then, I've wriggled, I've squirmed, I've sinned, I've failed, I've laid him down. But there's been that rock bell of knowing he is Lord. We are his. We belong to him. We don't add Jesus into our lives. We don't add bolt on a spiritual extension to our lives. He's Lord. And that's what birthed the early church. So important we see this because actually what came out, this revelation of the Lordship of Christ, of him being exalted, was a church that lived differently. A different lifestyle. It was, you see, this became foundational to the church. It was the result of the outpouring and it became foundational to the church. We can drift, can't we? Let's know Jesus as Lord. Let's repent and get in line and, 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 and really embrace him. Yeah, he is Lord. Second thing, he's exalted. He's enthroned. The people of Israel, they were, they were living with this hope. They were an oppressed people. They were longing for freedom. They were, they were exiles, actually, even in the homeland. They were, they were longing for these for restoration, for return of the good old days. And, 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 some other, and, and they had these prophetic words, there'd be another descendant of David who will come and he will take the throne. And in their minds, he will sort everything out. And, but it, it's a promise, it's the prophetic promise of kingdom. A new king was coming. And this is what Peter declares, that actually all these prophecies, they're pointing to Jesus. He is the king. And of course we go back to the gospels, don't we? We find, you know, in terms of the miracles, the, the deliverances, the, the healings, the teaching, the parables, everything, it's all about the kingdom. It's all about Jesus being the king. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom has come. We need to know Jesus is king. What does that mean? Well, once again, we worship. We worship. Every revelation we have of the throne in Revelation, we see surrounding the throne, worship. We th read things like this. They fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshipped, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honour and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Worship is our response to the King. But also we can know that we can overcome. It says there uh, that we come, it talks about his enemies being made a footstool for his feet. And in Hebrews, uh, we can read this, that we come to the one who is tempted in every way just as we are. You see, when we come to the throne, we come to the one who has won the ultimate victory, even death. And at one point, and, and because of that, we come to the great overcomer, and it means we can overcome. We worship, but we can overcome. So important we understand that. That's why this understanding 
of the exalted Christ. It gives us hope in our daily lives. And then we serve. Jesus as king was foundational to the way the early disciples lived. The early church, as we, if we were to go on and read the end bit of Acts chapter 2 and from then on, lived demonstrating the power of the kingdom. They saw God in kingdom power work in them and through them. But also the radical kingdom lifestyle, the generosity, the care for one another, the reaching out. There wasn't a needy one amongst them. This was kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. How do we respond to the king? I believe it's, that's the call on us as churches to live as communities of the king, as the king's family. And I believe that's what God, again, is just waking us up to. You know, there are certain limitations, aren't there, in terms of how we can be as church at the moment. But I believe in that, though, God's stirring something fresh in us, that we are to be a kingdom people. And then we approach. In Hebrews, we, we actually have a, an amazing description of God's throne. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says this. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. His throne is where we receive mercy. We find grace. And when? In our time of need. Let's draw near. The king invites us. So we worship him. We're overwhelmed by his greatness. But then he invites us to approach. We can come near. And we can find, and in fact, that, that scripture in Hebrews 4, it's kind of wrapped around with teaching on Jesus being our great high priest. He's actually priest and king. Critical thing that Hebrews wonderfully brings together. We can find that our high priest on the throne, you know, on the throne, that on this throne of grace, he empathizes with us. He deals gently with us. So that's wonderful truth. He's enthroned. He's exalted. And then just the last thing to really highlight about Christ in heaven now is that he's active. He's working. He's pouring out his Holy Spirit. That's what we see here in Acts chapter 2, that now the exalted one pours out his Holy Spirit. And he's been doing that throughout church history ever since. He's doing that right now. He pours out his Holy Spirit. It's the exalted one who does it. It's wonderful. It means right now, you know, however we're watching this or whatever setting we're in right now, that, that we can receive from the Father, the promise of the Father. We can receive the Holy Spirit. That, you know, if we, uh, you know, if we are locked in or locked down or confined or whatever, that somehow heaven is still open. He pours out his Spirit. Let's be hungry and thirsty and, and passionate to say no more of the Holy Spirit in these days. Say, Lord, you, would you pour out your Spirit on the church? But also, he intercedes for us. And 
need to go elsewhere to Romans to read about that. But in Romans 8, 34, uh, there's one end to that magnificent chapter, which is this. Who is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So he's at the right hand of God with that reference to the throne and he's interceding for us. His death, his resurrection, the ascension, all of that is finished work, but he still works on our behalf. He intercedes. Uh, I've been so impacted by that during these times of, of, of lockdown, well, since March. Well, number part of my reading, excuse me, get my book, uh, part of my reading, uh, in fact, I've read it twice now uh, since March, Gentle and Lowly by Dane Altland. And one of the real eye-opening chapters so impacted me was this, about the intercession of Christ. Think of it this way. Christ's heart is a steady reality flowing through time. It isn't as if his heart throbbed for his people when he was on earth, but has dissipated now that he's in heaven. It's not that his heart was flowing forth in a burst of mercy that took him all the way to the cross, but has now cooled down, settling back once more into a kindly indifference. His heart is as drawn to his people now as ever it was in his incarnate state. And the, present, um, and the present manifestation of his heart for his people is his constant interceding on their behalf. Wow. Right now. Just, let's just pause. Think. Be amazed. He is interceding for us right now. He's active. He works. Also, he's an advocate for us. John writes in one of his letters, in 1 John, he says, My dear children, I write to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus continually represents us in heaven to the Father with his finished work on the cross. He's actually in our corner. Yes, we have an accuser, the accuser of the brethren. But more importantly, we have an advocate. That's Christ in heaven, the exalted, enthroned one now, acting, working on our behalf. And then what is he doing now? He rules. He reigns. This is his present work. This is our security. This is our hope. We are living through these times, aren't we, where everything is being shaken and barely a week goes by without something more or some other headlines and, and they, they, they just get added, don't they? They think, yeah, there's a great shaking going on. But let's know this, that in all of that, and over all of that, he reigns. Let's not, let's not drift in our thinking, but let's be certain of the things we can be certain of. He's ruling, he's reigning, 
His purposes are being fulfilled. His kingdom is coming. His will is being done here on earth as it's being done in heaven. Let's see Jesus for who he really is. This is such a landmark chapter at chapter two. And central, you know, there's this chief landmark in the middle of it. If I use that phrase, which is Jesus, Christ himself. Died, buried, rose, ascended, now exalted. Let's worship him. Let's serve him. Let's let him shape our, how we think and how we act and how we do church together. And then let's see, yeah, it's the king's mission. It's that kingdom, it's that kingdom mission that he calls us on. Let's beware of a domesticated view of Jesus. Let's be overwhelmed by him. Now, exalted. I'd love to just pray with you all right now where you are listening to this. You might be just struggling with all sorts of stuff going on in your life. You might just be kind of almost like deeply struggling, a sense of your own weakness, even your own failure. It might even be some issues of sin that, you know, you kind of think, oh, I've done it again. Let's, let's hear this, we have an advocate, an advocate in heaven speaks on our behalf, presents the finished work of justification before the Father. Wonderful. It might be, we're just very aware of our failure and let's be encouraged by Peter. How God so met with him and so did something in him that he was able to declare these remarkable truths and bring such revelation. But somehow you might just feel that things have just closed in and that they have actually physically. But I believe God wants to so quicken something in our hearts. He wants us to wake up and keep waking up to the wonder of who, who he is. Just right where you are, just let the revelation of Christ, let the Holy Spirit bathe you freshly with this revelation of Christ. Come Lord, right now we ask, meet with us right where we are. We're hungry, thirsty for you, but we say as well, would you clear the eyes of our hearts that we would see you looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith so that we might run that which you've set before us. Be with us, Lord. Be with us in our different settings. Come, glorify your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's been a super privilege being with you this morning. Thanks so much.